You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Wow. Um, let's get into the word. I'm, I'm so excited uh, this year. I think when I, uh, I, I, I heard Psalm 65 for the first time, uh, as we crossed over, my jaw was certainly dropped. Uh, it was certainly, certainly dropped. Uh, and that has become my word, you know, that it's about this jaw-dropping answers to prayer. You know, that's really what it's about, like jaw-dropping answers to prayer. And you know, it's so necessary because we are living in a world that is, it's a low hope year. Let's face it. Last year was very tough. A lot of people are financially stretched. They are in financial positions that they had not imagined, right? And it's really, really tough, and they are discouraged. But we are coming into this year carrying a different word. We are carrying a different word that we are actually able to speak, to say, no, it's not my story. My story is jaw-dropping experiences in my finances. It's jaw-dropping experiences in my health. It's jaw-dropping experiences in my ministry. Jaw-dropping experiences in my workplace. You know, there will be promotions that I get that I skip a level. And it won't make sense why it happened the way that it happened, right? But it just happened. There will be health reports that I get that just don't make sense. You know, I actually had a health report, um, I think it's some two years ago. It was jaw-dropping, saints. I'll tell you why it was jaw-dropping, because I went to the doctor quite sick, right? I was unwell. And when I went to the doctor, I said, you know, hang on, you actually have pneumonia, collapsed lungs, and all these things. And I had been pushing work, no problem, and so forth. I went to the, um, what did they call it, Doc? Pneumo, what, what? The lung guy. Oh, that one, yes, yes, yes. Pulmonary, okay, that one. But I went, to, I went to this guy, when he did the scan, he asked me, oh, you are recovering well. When was the surgery? Yeah. When was the surgery? He did the scans a few times. But he couldn't, like, for him, what he was seeing was, I'm in a post-surgery recovery mode. That is jaw-dropping. That is jaw-dropping. It's really, really jaw-dropping. And those are the kind of experiences we should be looking forward to, that there will be jaw-dropping experiences that we go through in this year. But they won't all come in the same fashion. They won't. You know, I had a story um, where these people actually plane crashed into a village. Jaw-dropping experience. I'll tell you why. The village had been praying for six years for somebody to bring the knowledge of God. And it just so happened that that charter plane was full of Christians. They ended up establishing a church in that particular village. A plane crash so that that village can actually be reached. Jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping realities. Inconvenient extremely, extremely. You can imagine I had prepared the kids on Monday, they need to... But there's a village that actually needed to hear about Jesus. Uh, so, Father, we welcome your jaw-dropping experiences this year. We are not going to be missed on this word, oh God. We're going to experience it. We're going to participate in it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have set us apart for jaw-dropping answers to prayer, oh God. Our answers, our experiences, it will not be, it will not be our testimony and our story is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same in the name of Jesus, oh God. It's not going to be the same. It's not. It's not. It's really not going to be the same. Amen. Amen. 
And you know, I have had some experiences with people at work and I'm seeing more and more of the hopelessness. I entered the office, I think this was just Monday, early in this week, um, you know, and, and one of the chief of staffs kind of reaches out to me, we're having this discussion, and you know when the chief of staffs call you, hey, you are not necessarily in the best of positions. You know, they, you have not complied to something, uh, you know, and it has reached their ears. Okay, you must do this, you must do that. And I'm like, okay, chill, I'll do it, you know, and so forth. And then I asked, uh, what are you expecting this year? What are you looking forward to? It's like, yo, this year, it's such a tough year, Ruzani. What, what, what goes on? Negative, you know, kind of sentiment. And I said, wow, uh, you know, that's really, that's really a tough year, but that's not my year. In my year, the Lord is going to be doing jaw-dropping things, right? He's going to be answering prayers in a jaw-dropping experience. We're in an open field, in an open plan kind of office, and this discussion is actually going on. She's getting encouraged. She's getting excited. You can see hope actually lifting up in her spirit just because there is a different word that is being deposited in her. And it wasn't mysterious to say there's going to be this, the universe. No, no, no. It's going to be jaw-dropping experiences brought by Jesus. You know, it's going to be brought by Jesus. That's the reality of what we're going to be experiencing this year. And just some time during the fast as well, you know, as we were praying, an emergency uh, came to us and we started praying over this particular emergency. I think we received the, the emergency almost in the morning. I think I was heading, heading to work, came to prayer, and I just had a revelation of what needed to actually be done. Anyway, we acted on the revelation. We prayed about it. The emergency was resolved kind of the next day. Uh, it was done. This is a serious emergency. I won't get into the details of it. But in any case, the next day, when this guy then sends me a message to say, hey, you know, thank you for the prayers. This is actually the status. Things are looking good. Um, I was in a call full of, you know, very senior people in my workplace. I said, guys, we have to stop the call. I need to share personal experience with you. Uh, I turned on my camera. I said, we all need to turn on cameras. And by the way, we're working on an intense deadline, uh, on an intense, intense <laughs> deadline. So you can imagine how upset people get, right, when you stop the flow of things. We turned on the cameras, and I explained to them to say, God, guys, I have just seen the power of Elroy, the God who actually sees. And I told them this was the situation. We prayed for it, and it's been recovered because of Elroy. And I explained about the story of Hagar, and this lady opens up the Bible, and she's reading the Bible. This is in a, in a company where the office almost turns pink in that month of June. You know what I'm talking about, right? Our companies that follow American culture, you know, if you work for them, you will know, right? But everyone stopped. The Bible was read in that audience. The Hindu guy said, but, but how? Like, how? Like, you mean you just prayed, and this happened? How? I said, this year is about jaw-dropping experiences. Jaw-dropping experiences. Jaw-dropping experiences, you know. And it's so important. It's so important that our excitement and our expressive reaction and experience of Jesus, it can't be contained here. If you are on fire in this building and amongst the Christians, you are not on fire. A fire that can reach your workplace is not a fire. A fire that can reach your family is not a fire. Maybe a lukewarm fire, right? Because lukewarm, it can balance. It can be cold, air, cold here and warm here. But we need to really be on fire for Jesus. And it's not about loving, talking about jaw-dropping experience. It's about loving the one that's behind it all. It's about loving Jesus. It's really about that. 
You know, it's really, really about that. And when we love him and we're really steeped into him, there's things that we just can't not say. It's almost like it's, it's not in our control. We have to say it. We really have to say it. And you've, I'm sure you have seen it that when you encounter with those in the, the beehive, you will know quickly that these people are in the beehive. If you're not a millennial, you might not know the beehive. That word is not for you. <laughs> you know? but, but the experience of Jeremiah was that this word, it's actually bringing me trouble. It's bringing me trouble. It's getting me in trouble with people that are important in this nation. I need to try and stop. I need to find a way to contain it. And he said, it doesn't matter how much I try. This thing is like a fire. It's like a fire right through my bones, right? I don't even know how he ended up with it. You know, prophets are interesting because you've never had that experience of fire in your bones, but he knows exactly what it is, right? But he says, even if I try to contain it, it's impossible. I cannot. And I think that there are words and the experiences that we have with Jesus that we just can't contain. We just can't contain them. And to contain them would be a fiery experience that we feel like actually exploding. There are times where I have tried to contain myself and my heartbeat just starts to accelerate. I don't know if you have experienced it, but my heartbeat starts to accelerate so much that I start taking my phone just to check, do I have Doc's latest number? You know, is this, is this a heart attack, Doc? <laughs> what, is, what is happening? But my heartbeat just starts to go extremely, extremely, extremely fast. I can't keep quiet. I have to actually speak. But it's because of the love of Jesus. It's because of the love of Jesus. And when we speak from a place of different hope, there is going to be people that come to us to say, hey, but do me. Why are you so hopeful? Where is this all coming from? But if they say this, world is a fa- this country is a failed state, we say it's a failed state. This country is going nowhere, we say it's going nowhere. What else we know? That there's a prophetic reality over this nation, that the gospel is going to go from here all the way to Egypt. There is a prophetic reality. There are so many prophecies over this nation. Our testimony and our witness about what's happening in this country ought to come from that heavenly realm. We can't agree with the world. We can't. Did Jesus actually say South Africa is a failed state? Then why are we saying it? We want the things to happen as they are in heaven. Is is this country a failed state in heaven? So we've got to proclaim the things that are in heaven into our nation. We gotta, we gotta, we can't call conspiracy conspiracy because the world is doing it. That's not our tongue. That's not our mouth. We can't hear, well, 50% of marriages end in divorce and then that's our message as well. We say, no, I, you know, in my context, I've never seen 50%. Where, where have you seen this? And in actual fact, that statistics is actually highly inaccurate. It's based on a projection. It's not an actual number. It's based on a projection of a study done in the 1960s that was saying that if the trend continues as is, when we get to the early 2000s, we should be at around 50%. So it's an assumed number. It's not actually a real uh, percentage. But we have agreed with it. We have agreed with it. Then people can't come. You know, that first Peter 3.15 experience, we never experience it. No one asks us for why we're so hopeful. No one asks us for why we are different. Why? Because we are the same. But I'm so excited that this year, the Lord is intentional with, with making us not the same. He's very intentional. 
because he started the year with ushering us into and inviting us into this adventure of holiness. And you can't be holy and the same. It's impossible. You can't be. And I think as, our, as we get into Leviticus in the, in the Bible, Bible study, we'll start to see more and more that the Lord was making these people different. Interesting enough, in, the, uh, in Moses' encounters with Pharaoh, the first few miracles, the Lord did not differentiate the Israelites and the Egyptians. And then it makes a distinct call to say this was happening to the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. Why? Because he had made them holy. And that's what he has actually done to us. But why do we actually want to speak the realities of Jesus in our workplaces and in our families? Why is that an important thing? Because the reality is you're going to see, like, in your lifetime, in total, maybe 100 people getting saved in a normal church service. That's the reality. The majority of them are going to get saved in your workplaces. They're going to get saved in your complexes, in your estates, in your families. The actual ministry work is there. It's really there. This is just a leadership session to prepare ambassadors to take an ambassadorial message to their wherever they've been deployed to. It's not the ministry totality here. It's an empowerment center. Like imagine if an organization just had leadership seminars and no one did anything about it. You would know that that is an organization in decline. That organization would not exist in a few years. But there's something that is really kind of skewed sometimes in that we like just this experience and we want to just leave it here and we enjoy it, we want to just contain it and keep it holy and so forth. But this is supposed to ignite something that goes there. It's a spark. Like we need to be setting the whole thing on fire. If the disciples had not done it in the book of Acts, we wouldn't be here. But imagine the obedience of 120 people has led to billions of salvations. How many can we reach in Midrand if we are obedient? How many? We've got to be on fire. You know, I actually saw a TikTok video, although I don't have TikTok, um, just as a side confession. Uh, but, you know, the videos do the circles. But in this video, the guy was talking about how, um, like, almost like how to be lukewarm. Yeah. It was a video about how to be lukewarm, like, you know, like, be on fire on Sunday, add a little bit of Jesus for your family, just so your kids actually grow up uh, a little religious. But when you get there in the workplace, you've got to be a different monster because, you know, uh, and he just gives like this prescription. And I was like, wow, this thing has so many views. It means lukewarmness is actually fashionable. Like it's actually fashionable just to have a little bit of Jesus. Like just to, you know, it's not a lot. You just wear the little bracelet. When it comes up, then you say, oh, but guys, all right? chill, right? It's fashionable. But that is not the biblical reality of what we, experience, we ought to experience. And there's one scripture, um, Revelation 3.1, and then I'll get into my, my, my primary scripture that I want to talk about. It says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, 
but you are dead. Like the reputation is there, but you are actually dead. Like I don't want to have a reputation. I don't want you to think that I'm alive while I'm actually dead. I would rather you know that I'm dead and then be praying for me to resurrect than you think I am alive while I'm actually dead. But how many saints are actually walking around with a reputation of being alive, but it's actual death? Do you know one of the ways you know that you are alive? Is that living people actually see dead people, but dead people don't see. If you go to your workplace and you can't see dead people, you've got a question, like, what's happening? Does it not bother you that you're in a graveyard? These are dead people. We were not just saved from an uncomfortable life that we were alive, but it was just different. No, we were dead in our transgression. We were dead in our sins. There was no hope. The gospel message is the only alarm clock that is able to go into a graveyard and actually resurrect someone. And that's the reality of what we walk into every day. When Paul walked around the city, he became uncomfortable when he saw death. He said, this is too much, so much idols here. What is actually going on? And he felt compelled by love that he had to preach for the, to them. I remember in, a, you know, in a, a previous place that we actually stayed, um, we were sharing the gospel door by door and we were going. We ended up at the door of a missionary. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I meet a missionary, I get excited. You know, I get really excited. I, I kind of stop everything. I want to sit down and take notes and ask lots of questions. Nothing is as exciting for me as somebody who's saying, I've laid down my life just for this one thing. But this missionary was different. This missionary said, oh, what are you guys doing? Okay, we'll explain. We're doing door to door. And he says, you are preaching to these dogs. You are preaching to these dogs. Like, these dogs from India are not going to get saved. He's talking about the Hindu people. And I was like, wait, you're, you're, a, 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 what? you're a missionary. Like, <laughs> like, like you left wherever you were and you've come here for this thing. Like how? Like how? But I think that's a good segue into Luke 15. Let's read Luke 15. I don't know if we're going to put it up, but if we can put it up, um, I'm probably reading an NLT. Okay, Luke 15 from verse 1. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, these dogs, can they get saved? Okay? So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she, has fi she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. 
In the same way, there is joy in heaven in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Amen. It's obvious here that the verses that follow these two parables are an explanation of what he's actually doing. So they were observing him eating with the sinners. They didn't understand it upset them. So he used this reality that he came to seek and save that which was lost as a mechanism to explain what he's doing. That's a fair way to think about it, right? Now, if we go back to verse 1, um, you know, there's a few things here that I want us to talk to. Firstly, he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And he says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives um, or welcomes, in the, in the Amplified even as preeminently wicked sinners, outcasts, rejects, and eats with them. So this were almost not just, uh, you know, your, your average everyday sinner. I don't know if there are levels of sinner packages, but yeah. But this wasn't, this was, you know, the top package of sinners that he was actually dealing with. But the accusation to Jesus and one of the things he got in trouble for in general is that he actually welcomed them. They were comfortable. When I read this, I immediately asked myself, am I like Jesus? But can I associate with sinners? Or it has to be a sin I'm comfortable with. You know the ones you are comfortable with? Right? But can I truly associate with sinners? Be seen eating in June with the June crew. Can I do that? Or it's like, I'm like, yo, but if Ryan saw me, huh, and my shirt is red as well, and he sees me there, what is he going to say? What if he tells Pastor Eric, yo, what if Pastor Uba has a prophetic <laughs> revelation of where I am right now? Right? This is the spirit of religion. It's the spirit of religion, and it's not a spirit of Jesus. Because we see that Jesus actually associated with sinners. It was very common to find Jesus amongst the sinners. You would not find Jesus so much chilling with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth. This wasn't his common crowd that he was interested in. He was interested in the sinners. And I feel like in a lot of cases, we as Christians, myself included, we repel sinners. The moment they come into our circle, we actually judge them, right? That's like step number one. We judge them. Step number two, we expect the fruit that only the Holy Spirit has produced in us to come from their life with no, with no salvation, with no Holy Spirit. That's what we expect. And we know from the scriptures, Paul is clear about this. It's not our place to judge those that are outside. Our place is actually to bring them inside. Yeah. And some of our judgments are so basic that even if somebody loves Jesus, because of when the religious spirit is high, they love Jesus and has a tattoo and we have a problem. We have a problem. Then there's a judgment that rises up. This is not the spirit of Jesus. This is not. And the reality is that if we don't associate with sinners, there's no salvations. There is no salvation. That we, we become like that company that has leadership seminars and none of the leaders ever do anything. We are all leaders here. We are all leaders. There is something that is being imparted in us that we need to take outside. That's the reality. That is the reality. 
there is really explicit command about this. Whether we go to you know, the Great Commission, Acts, etc., it's all over the Bible that this is what we ought to be doing because this is actually what it's about. Interesting enough, you know people are, are, are rude in, in general. I had an experience of this rude experience. Can you imagine? I was in a WhatsApp group with Christians that love Jesus. Imagine, guys. In this group of Christians that love Jesus, a fellow brother who is here in the church, I won't name him, uh, he decided to send a picture of a particular musician that apparently I look like. And I was, in fact, they were, he was dressing in red, so I don't know. Um, and this musician was in front of lots of beers. Like, it looked like in a club setting. And then the message was, you know, I can't remember, something like, you know, Ruzani, what, 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 right? I saw this picture, and then I remember thinking, oh, this is me, where was I? Like, what was I actually doing here? Like, who did I go here with? Uh, but the, the thing I was thinking about is that it didn't shock me that I was in front of those beers. It wasn't me. And I don't drink, by the way. Not that, uh, but anyway, it's not that someone. But I wasn't shocked that there was a picture of me in front of all these beers. Because that's where sinners are. Where else would I want to be? That's where they are. Why wouldn't I want to be there? If I have colleagues who say, hey, we're doing drinks this Friday, why wouldn't I go? Like, why wouldn't I actually go? I would go. And I'll be pictured in front of those beers. I might even share that picture. I won't. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but the religious spirit will make you uncomfortable with that. In fact, I'm sure that some who saw that picture and actually thought it was me, immediately thought, ah, this guy, fallen. Like, finished, complete, complete. Complete, like does Pastor Eric know what he's dealing with here? <laughs> huh? But saints, if we want to reach the lost, we have to be amongst them. We have to be amongst them. But of course, we have to do these things with wisdom. I've never struggled with alcohol. I've never really, you know, been a, been a drinker. So to be around alcohol is not a problem for me. But if you know your own story and how you came to Jesus, right, it might be unwise for you to be around that. There are certain settings that I won't go to because it would be unwise for me to actually be there. But I'm not going to cut off effectively my place of ministry, which is the world and where sinners are, because I want to protect a contamination. That's not the Jesus way. That's not the Jesus way. Like Moses didn't die on Mount Sinai, right? Did he? I'm talking about in terms of when he was there meeting, encountering the Lord. It wasn't like, okay, 40 days, let's just kill you here. You come to heaven and continue enjoying. No, he actually came down. And there was some serious ministry work that he had to do. It's serious. I'm sure you are like, yo, guys, are we like this? <laughs> uh -huh. But holiness is actually not about this mountain we climb on and never come down. It's actually about doing it all like Jesus. Like, do it all like Jesus. Do it all with the Holy Spirit. Do it all. Do it all with the ambition of God in mind. If you're going to host a bride, invite two sinners. Right? If you're going to have a dinner, invite a sinner. Like, everything you do, just think, how can I include a sinner? How can I actually include a sinner? Like, we, we actually did a campaign in terms of WhatsApp got test. We didn't manage to finish it 
uh, due to reproductive schedules clashing. <laughs> yeah, so, so Ryan and I had babies at the same time. Um, but yeah, but as part of that God test, uh, God test uh, sort of campaign that we did, one of the things that left me thinking is, wow, Ruzani, how many sinners do you actually know? Like, how many do you know that are able to respond to this? Or is it just Christians say, wow, so creative, all the grace? Like, who responded to me? Do you get what I mean? Like, our phone book ought to be full of sinners. Like, they ought to be full of sinners. Like, when we say, okay, we are, let's, let's uh, invite and save people to this, it mustn't be like, yo, Ish, maybe, I remember I met somebody five years ago. Maybe they're still not saved. You know, let me start there. It should be easy. Like, no, I'm in active conversations with the following five people. Like, I'm just, those are my people. We're having a business breakfast, whatever. Those are my people. So it's really, really important. It's really important. One of the things is that we have to understand our calling. You know, our calling is to actually reach this world. Jesus has left us to continue his work of seeking and saving that which is lost. That's our calling. And you know a person that knows their calling because they are always located in that region. You would never find John, you know, amongst the sheep grazing them there in the scriptures. When you read about John, he's often next to water. Because he was a baptizer. That was his calling. And when I realized that, then I asked myself, where am I located? Where am I located? I should be located 100% in a church building if I'm called to build this building, right? But otherwise, I'm called to actually seek and save that which is lost. That's the Great Commission. Go seek and save that which is lost. And even where we have started, we've said, you know what, I'm preaching the gospel. People have gotten saved. He even said, baptize them. I could even make it a goal to say, this year, I'm going to baptize someone. I'm going to bug Pastor Eric and say, Pastor Eric, when are the baptisms? I have two guys here that I need to baptize. No, no, you're not going in. These are my guys. I'm going to baptize them because I'm fulfilling the commission of Jesus over my life. That's how it ought to be, saints. That's how it ought to be. Do you know, when I was thinking about this, I realized many of us would actually welcome false prophets before we welcome sinners. In fact, we might even take selfies with the false famous prophet before we associate with a practitioner of homosexuality. That is scary. That is actually scary. Because when we read the scriptures, that should be one of the farthest things that we actually do. But we would eat with them. Perhaps we even welcome them regularly on our TV screens. No problem. It's really sad. Jesus, help us. Yeah, we, we really need the grace of Jesus to be a people that attract sinners and not repel them. And you know, when you read the contents of Jesus' messages, they were tough. They were so tough, eh? But the sinners still continued. So it's not that to attract sinners, then you have to remove Jesus, talk about the universe, and so forth. No. We don't have to follow new age, you know, uh, spirit and demons. We can just follow Jesus.
we can just follow Jesus. Oh, by the way, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I need to ask uh, Pastor Uber to help me. You know, I lost weight during the fast, but the challenge is it's now coming back. You know, <laughs> is there a trick to kind of keep it down? You know, what I was thinking about that is that the reality is that there are things that shift in our lives during the fast, but we are quick to go back to the things that are broken. There is a weight that has been shifted, but I go back, right? I go back. I go back to the same habit, to the same way of living that boosts my weight again to where I was, and even higher. Of course, I'm talking about spiritual things. There are things that during the fast, there are hungers that have been created. There are even profane hungers that have been put to death. But the question is, what are we going to do to feed that spiritual hunger, you know, to actually eat. You know, I, I remember when I was in varsity, the one thing I really wanted to do, um, you know, is speak in tongues. Like, I really wanted to speak in tongues, eh? And people would be there. You know? And I'll be like, uh, uh. <laughs> and nothing. Nothing would happen. I was prayed for, I was baptized, I was... Like everything was done. I was victory weekending over and over and over. But this thing just would not happen. And I really wanted this thing. I truly, truly wanted it. And I remember reading that we must actually seek these gifts. We must eagerly desire them. I said, okay, I'm going to eagerly desire this gift. And whenever I would meet somebody that prayed in tongues, it's very carnal what I'm going to say, but prayed in tongues whose sound I liked. <laughs> I would actually go and ask them if I could pray with them, uh, you know, and I would invite them myself to their place and they'll become my prayer partner for, for a season. And I'll hear other tongues that I liked and then I'll go to those tongues as well. <laughs> uh, but I probably spent months and months just praying with people who spoke in tongues. And then in some cases, they would say, oh, I must just sit on the chair and they would pray around. I must just sit there. When it comes, I must open my mouth and nothing would happen. I did this over and over again. I don't even know how I was surviving all-night prayers because I would go to this all-night prayers and I would be like, you know English finishes, you know, especially when it's not your first language. You know, after the first hour, the bundles are done, right? It's done, it's done, it's done. And I'm just there. But I really wanted this thing. All night prayers, almost all my Fridays, I was in all night prayers. I wanted this thing. I'm talking about months on months on months. This wasn't like a two-day thing. It was a very long thing. Until one day, I was actually sleeping. Uh, and apparently, I started speaking in tongues uh, in my sleep. I have no memory of this, of course. It, you know, it, it happened to others, but through me. Yeah, you know? But I just remember when I woke up, Everyone in the res was like looking at me funny. Uh, you know, people thought, yeah, you know, this, this gospel thing, it finally, <laughs> like it, fi it finally made him mad, like uh, finally. But apparently I was loud for like a significant period of time. People came to my door, they were knocking, they were banging, they called the warden, there was, should we call the police? Like people didn't know what to do with this thing. Because I was just there. And then when I just woke, it was like this drama that I've created now. It reads, some said I'm demon-possessed, right? <laughs> some said I'm mad. 
Others said, no, we've heard this thing. We think it's tongues. Uh, I can say the res was safely divided, right? It was safely divided. But the thing here is that because I really wanted to speak in tongues, I didn't just say, ah, Jesus, on Sunday, Jesus, please, if, if you find it in you, just throw it over. I'll catch it, you know? No, no. There was actually an active pursuit of this thing. There were active steps that I took. I bothered people. I bothered people, like, pray with me, pray for me. This was all that I was doing. This was all. In fact, there was a guy who was making me fast so regular, I was losing, like, it was tough. It was tough. He was saying, it, it might be because there are demons in your res. You need to fast. <laughs> Uh, and I fasted, and I fasted, and I fasted. Uh, uh, and this was really the experience that I went through. But the point is, there's a hunger that's been ignited in the fast. What are we going to do to pursue that hunger and see it actually come to pass? Like, are we just going to say, well, Jesus, if you find it in your calendar to do it, you'll do it. No. Like, the Holy Spirit is here with us, right? We can actually actively pursue the things of God. You know, and it's Reynard Bonkem, and he once said, even if all of Australia prayed every single day, 365 days, 24 hours, until everyone was blue in the face for the salvation of Australia, but not a single person preached the gospel, Australia would still go to hell. And sometimes we hide in prayer. We hide in prayer. We hide in prayer and say, well, I've prayed, therefore I've done it. The prayer is just part of the process because there are some salvations that will come because we have broken some things in the place of prayer. You know, the things that God was doing with the Israelites, with, the, with Pharaoh, he was actually bringing judgment on the gods because there was a judgment that needed to fall on the gods that will result in a favorable release of the nation. And there are some salvations that are going to be like that. Other salvations just require us, I mean, I've, I've preached, like I've been so ready to preach like a beautiful gospel message and I just said the most basic thing and I'm like, ah, you, I, I had more, you're getting saved already. Like, you know, and sometimes, I, to be honest, it's like shocking when somebody gets saved. You're like, but like it's, wow. It now makes sense why there's an eruption of joy in heaven because this is a heaven thing that's happening. It's not an us thing. It's really not about us. So the hungers that have started, we need to nurture them. But what about the sinners that we love? You know the sinners that we love? Our relatives, our siblings, our cousins, our parents, um, our children, etc. Those can be the toughest sinners to deal with. Because now we are dealing kind of in this complex world, right? I've, I've had an experience where like the Lord really had to deal with me in that there was a sinner that I loved they, that wronged me to a degree that didn't even make like, sense, even if you were out of your mind. You know? It only had to be like, this is demonic. This was the only conclusion. And it was difficult because the relationship was broken for years since then. Talking about no communication. And it's not like my cousin's 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 mother's child's nephew. No. Like, very, very close, where it's impossible not to be around each other. Um, and I remember thinking and feeling convicted about it and saying, okay, Jesus, I've forgiven in my heart. You know in my heart I have forgiven. Um, and I remember the thought that came to me is that with this particular person, I made their salvation a prerequisite 
forever reconciling again. The conviction that came to me is that there is something that God has deposited in me for my family that I am withholding through this attitude that they won't even come to salvation. Can you imagine? You are the light in the family, but you say, because I love you and you have hurt me, I'm going to keep you far, whereas now I have forgiven them and I'm demonstrating the love of Jesus. I've forgiven them, not because of what they have since done and so forth. The situation is still the same. But I make effort to build that relationship. Why? Because I'm demonstrating the forgiveness of Jesus. And that's what we ought to be doing. We are demonstrating something about Jesus with our lives. We really are. We really, really are. But we are almost out of time. So we're gonna, I'm going to need to, to, to kind of speed through just uh, getting the conclusion. But I think the point is clear. The reality is that it doesn't matter how you read the Bible, in what order you read it, how often you read it, the conclusion is always the same. This thing is about salvation. It's actually about people getting to know this Father, enjoying Him, and building a life that images Him. There are some things that are true in heaven about how a nation ought to be run that the Lord wants to show through us. There are some things that are true in heaven about how finances ought to be managed and stewarded that God wants to show through us. But it can't happen because we want it in these four walls. When we go, we kind of take it off. Like the Jesus jacket is heavy. It's only when the anointing is flowing, it's not so heavy. But that's not how it ought to be. And you know, when the disciples went out, uh, you know, kind of a few chapters later in, in, in chapter 17, they actually came back with great joy, right? They came back with great joy, and Jesus actually said to them, fantastic that you are joyful, but there's a higher reason to actually be joyful. It's actually what the wonders have enabled, which is your salvation to kind of begin with, but it's about salvation. It's about salvation. Jesus didn't come here for us to just play church and be in organized religion. It's not true. He's actually come here uh, to seek and save and recover that which was lost. That's really why he came. And he gives us that same commission and says, us who are left here, we must continue the family business. We must continue the work that the Father is up to. That's what he's up to. Amen. And it's really a, a, a message even to, even to me. And you know, when we read the two parables that he gave, the lost sheep and the lost coin, I want to pick out a few things in closing. Number one, it's urgency. Satan is urgent, guys. Satan is urgent. If you think about the things that we accept today that are normal, that Satan has convinced the whole world that it's okay, and where we were just 10 years ago. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Like, I still remember when generations introduced, you know, Senzo and Jason. How we're like, ah, how? It's not possible. We were in shock that there was a gay couple on the TV screens. Today, when we see it, we might even root for their relationship to be successful. Like, Satan is very urgent. 
Think about some of the ideas that the school education system is introducing. Satan is urgent. And he's very lucky when he finds a church in bright mode. In bright mode, relaxed, enjoying, chilling. The church is at the spa, being manicured and pedicured. That's my vocabulary finished relating to spas. But Satan is urgent. When Jesus sent them in Luke 17, he said, I'm going to send you as lambs before what? Wolves. Do you know a lamb can't be chilled when there's a wolf around? You'll never see a lamb just like relaxing, strolling, and so forth when there's a wolf around. There's an agency that is created in that lamb. There is an agency that we need to pray for. Second point that we see in those parables is that it was active seeking. The shepherd didn't say, oh no, the sheep is lost. Let's call an intercession for the sheep to be recovered. He actually says, I'm going to leave my comforts and actually go and find the sheep. I don't know how many vitality points he gained in that walk, but he was really ready to go as far as required. The same with the lost coin. She turned on the light, she cleaned every area until recovery. In both cases, it was until recovery. And that's because salvation of people is actually part of the will of God. It is not his pleasure that the wicked actually perish. No, it is his desire that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when we participate in that, we are right there in the will of God. That's why in both cases, the recovery is guaranteed that he speaks about. He doesn't say, well, the shepherd went for some hours, didn't find anything, came back, a little disappointed and said, well, at least I have 99. He said, no, recovered. The coin recovered. There are people in your family that will be recovered. There are people in your community that will be recovered. But it's going to take us getting out of our comfort zones and saying some difficult things uh, to them. Amen? The last point is that there was joy in heaven. There was joy in heaven. Like, have we thought about that? That there was actually joy in heaven. In the message, it says, it says count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one soul gets to God. That's amazing, right? That's the kind of party angels throw. It's almost like God permits them. They're like, holy, what? Guys, you know, can you imagine that they pause worshiping? They pause worshiping to celebrate the salvation of one sinner. Like there was a pause, there was a party that is marked in the record books that related just to my salvation, to your salvation. Like when somebody gets saved, something happens in heaven. We're always praying for things to come from heaven, right? We're praying your will, you know, everything. But there's something we actually send up there. There is, I don't know, other things that the Bible say, this thing causes an eruption of joy in heaven. That's amazing. It gives God joy. And maybe that's why when, the, when Jesus sent them in Luke 17, it actually says when he was almost thinking about all that he's heard, he got filled with joy. He was full of joy in the Holy Spirit. I think it was 
communicating with heaven. There is something that we are doing here that is really not ordinary. It's not ordinary. The top agenda of God is salvation. Number one agenda. It's not us uh, you know, getting more stuff and so forth. We're going to die and leave those stuff. We're really going to die and leave those stuff. And when we die, it's the stuff that, you know, the, the, our bags are going to be filled with the good things uh, that we actually did. These salvations are going to be what's in our bags. It's not going to be our cars. It's not going to be our houses and so forth. The top agenda is salvation. He sent his son to die and pay the penalty for salvations to be possible. He didn't just die in his sleep, as I was saying earlier. He didn't die from, you know, corona. He died a painful, painful, gruesome death. And he took it all because he had our salvation in mind. Because when that lamb was slaughtered in the Old Testament, it wasn't just, uh, you know, a painless experience. No, it was painful. He did it. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that indeed he is God. And he actually gives us the Holy Spirit to continue the family business. Now, can you imagine he sent Jesus? He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us of what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth. How is it that the Holy Spirit will not guide us into the top agenda of God? Like we have to wonder sometimes. I wonder about myself as well to say, but you know, I'm not seeing salvations here. Is this the leading of the Spirit truly? Or I want to say it's the leading of the Spirit because there was a benefit to me. Like I got some money, therefore it was the Spirit. Maybe the agenda was for you to get that money, but for somebody to be saved as well. We've got to pray. When we go to our workplaces, it's not just about give me wisdom, you know, to outsmart, to do this, to crack all the problems. It's saying, Lord, give me, give me wisdom. Like today I'm meeting with so-and-so. Give me wisdom to actually just show them a piece of heaven. This is different. This is different. All those things are added anyway. Why would I focus on the added things? We've got to focus on the thing we are called to focus on. And the last evidence that this is the top agenda of God is that heaven actually pauses every time salvation takes place. It actually pauses. When we pray, there's incense that goes up. When we give, we know in some cases there's memorials. Like we know all these other evidences. But none of them, it's like there's this big party that actually blows out. There is something that God has put in this agenda for us. Amen? So as the worship team comes up, we're going to be closing. Friends, I think first and foremost, if you are here and you don't know Jesus or you are watching and you don't know Jesus, the top agenda of God is your salvation. It's not for you to go and clean yourself and then, you know, finally you can get saved. If there was any ability for us to clean ourselves, to be good enough for God, there would have been no requirement for Jesus. But there is no option where we can clean ourselves. There's really no option. None at all. But the only option is the blood of Jesus. And that blood makes us new. 
takes away the sin, cleanses our conscience, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. So if you don't know Jesus, we're going to pray with you. You can just lift up your hands and we'll pray. Yeah, I don't see any hands. So if you're there online as well and you want to commit your life to Jesus, you know, just pray and ask him to come into your life. Ask him. Ask him to forgive you and receive you in the name of Jesus. But saints, given that all of us uh, do follow Jesus, I want us to stand. Tliseka, we're going to sing a song. But this song is a proclamation of the reality we're committing ourselves to in this year. We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no more turning back. There's no more turning back. We're not turning, we're not changing, we're not shifting. This is the decision. And following Jesus is not a passive thing, as we've said. It is an active reality uh, every day. We make it our goal and our ambition to commit to his mission. Can we sing that song? Okay, let's sing it and then we'll pray in closing. Father, we're not going to follow you as an add-on to our lives, oh God. We're going to follow you as our lives. We're going to lay down every inch, every part of us and say, your mission is worth it. We say, Lord, our goal, our purpose, our key thing we want to achieve is to please you. So we pray, oh Father, and say, give us grace. Give us grace, oh God. Give us grace to not just live it on Sunday. To not just live this thing in connect groups. To not just live this thing when we're around other Christians. Oh Lord, help us, oh Father. Holy Spirit, fill us to actually live this thing everywhere that you put us. Help us to start seeing ourselves as ambassadors of your kingdom. Help us to start seeing ourselves as your ministers of reconciliation everywhere that you put us. Help us, oh Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would have records of people getting saved as a consequence of us stepping out of our discomforts. That, Father, the wonders would accompany this work, oh God. It wouldn't be wonders for fun, oh God, but it would be wonders so that, oh Father, so that salvations would take place. We know, oh Father, that when Paul and Barnabas preached, you brought your miraculous signs and wonders to prove that you were at work in them. So Father, we pray and say we are not going to go with just speeches. We are not going to go with just words. But we're going to go with the power of God, where the finger of God will be seen in the name of Jesus in our communities. Oh, Father, we ask you, Lord, this year, give us jaw-dropping salvations, oh God, that those people, oh, Father, that we thought were too far, oh, Lord, bring growth to the seed that has been planted in those hearts, oh God. Bring growth in the name of Jesus. Ah, we celebrate the salvations. We celebrate salvations in our families. We celebrate salvations in our workplaces. We celebrate salvations in our communities. We say wherever we find ourselves, no area will be left unscathed. You are so worthy and so worthwhile. In the name of Jesus, amen. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. 
For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.